What a wonderful blessing this morning. Speak peace to my heart, Lord Jesus. In a world full of turmoil, that's a message that the world needs to hear, didn't it? That we can have peace in the Lord Jesus Christ. Matter of fact, that is the message that Jesus began to teach his disciples. And on the eve of his death, we find that he was there in John chapter number 14. We're going to be in John 13 today. You can turn there. But in John 14, he said, let not your heart be troubled. He says, don't be anxious. Don't be overwhelmed by the problems you're facing. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions, and I go to prepare a place for you. He says, you're going to go through a time. You're going to fix, face a situation coming forward that things are, that are up are going to be down, and things that are right are going to be wrong, but through it all, trust in me. What a great message of peace Christ has left for us today. John chapter 13 is on the same eve, in the same time that he speaks those words, that he also is speaking to his disciples here in John 13. And he turns and he begins to uh, unmask the betrayer. Now last week we celebrated Easter. What happened as a result of Judas' betrayal was Jesus was led to the cross. Now that was part of God's plan from the beginning, is that he would come and suffer for you and I. But before that point, there was a man who became a traitor. If you will say the word traitor in any language... I'd say it's an ugly word. I never did look up the, uh, what the German word for traitor would sound, but I'm sure it would have a lot of slobber and spit involved in it. But this is what I know is that traitor, no matter what, it, what language, is a dirty word. There are a few people more despised than people who betray their country, their cause, or someone's trust. Matter of fact, nations, even America, have reserved the severest punishment for those who have betrayed their country and that committed acts of treason. This is the death penalty here in America. History has not known many traitors over the years. For example, one is during the Polynesian War, the Athenian general, uh, Achibades, betrayed Athens' plans to the city's bitter rival. Uh, and as a result, the Athenians were defeated in battle by the Spartans. King Leonidas of Sparta and his outnumbered force held the pass of Thermopylae against the Persians until a traitor showed the Persians a way to outflank them. And they were attacked from the, uh, the, the rear, and Leonidas and his men bravely fought to the last stand. It was the last, uh, one of those most famous vac uh, victory, uh, defeats in history. Probably the one that were the most famous in, uh, in American uh, genre is Benedict Arnold, but even before him was a man named Simon Gurdy. Simon Gurdy was a deserter from the Continental Army, and he led raiding parties of Native Americans against the colonists. Gurdy was feared for his brutality so much so that they gave him uh, the, uh, the title, the Great Renegade. And of course, the most infamous of all is that of Benedict Arnold. And he was annoyed by being passed over for promotion. And he was seeking money for his, uh, his extravagant lifestyle. And so Arnold offered to suffer uh, to his services and to sur surrender the key uh, to West Point to the British. And so when British General Sir Henry Clinton was captured carrying this incriminating papers, we see Arnold's plot was exposed. He was deserted to, uh, to the British and he fought against his own countrymen. He died in exile in England, scorned by Americans and the British alike. But he hadn't been the only one. There's been others, like the French General Henry uh, Patain, who was hailed as a savior of Vendine in World War I. But after France fell to the Germans in World War II, he became the head of the Vichy government, which collaborated with the Nazis. In Christendom, William Tyndale, 
who first translated the Bible from Hebrew into Greek into English and was making a Bible for the common people. And in 1535, he was betrayed by a friend, taken, from, uh, taken as a prisoner to the castle of Wolford, where he continued to work on his translation until he was executed October 6, 1936. Over and again. If you go to the Bible, you can find other traitors that have been shared. There was Absalom in 2 Samuel who was, uh, sought to usurp the throne of his own father, David. There was Ahithophel, David's counselor, who joined Absalom's rebellion. There was Sheba who led a revolt of the northern tribes soon after Absalom's revolt was tr- crushed. There was Jeroboam whose rebellion against Solomon resulted in the division of Israel uh, in the two, into two kingdoms. There was Baasha who murdered uh, Jeroboam's son Nadab and reigned in his place. There was Zimri, who killed uh, Baasha's son uh, Elah and took his place. There was Athaliah, Israel's only queen, who seized power after the death of her son, King Ahaziah. There was the servants of Joash, who conspired against him and killed him. There was the unnamed conspirators, who assassinated King uh, Amaziah. There was Shalem, who conspired and ended the brief reign of uh, King Zechariah. There was Menahem, who primarily murdered and replaced Shalem. There was Pekah, who overthrew and murdered Menahem's son, uh, Pekahiah. There was Hoshea, who killed Pekah, uh, who became the last king of the northern kingdom. Amnon's servants were also among those conspirators who conspired against him and murdered him. There was Bithon and Tirsha, who plotted against King Ahasuerus and un- uh, was uncovered by Mordecai. Over and over and over, we could fill the hour with traitors, the betrayer. Probably the most notorious of all in the Bible in all of human history was Judas Iscariot. Judas had the incredible privilege of being one of the 12 closest uh, followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was part of that inner circle, if you will. And yet, inconceivably, after three years of living uh, constantly with this perfect Jesus Christ, watching, watching the miracles, listening to the messages, and seeing all that was going on, Judas betrayed Jesus to his death. This dark, tragic history of Judas reveals the depths of evil to which the human heart is capable of sinking. And even in the very best of circumstances, there, is a, there was a betrayer in the midst. The early church was universally detested and scorned uh, Judas Iscariot. As a matter of fact, his name appears last in every New Testament list of the apostles except for one in Acts chapter 1 where it does not appear at all. In addition, whenever the gospel writers mention Judas, they always identify him as the traitor who betrayed Jesus. That's what he's always known by, is that betrayer. Little is known of Judas's life before he became an apostle. He was, his father was Simon Iscariot. And the surname de- derives from two Hebrew words that mean man of Kirioth. That suggests that Judas was probably from the village of Kirioth, either the one in Moab or more likely the one in Judea, south of Hebron. And thus Judas would have been the only one of the twelve who was not a Galilean. But there was no real evidence in the Gospels that the the apostles excluded or looked down upon him as a result because he wasn't from Galilee. Nevertheless, being an outsider, it made it no doubt easier for Judas to justify treachery even in his own mind. It made it easier for him to live his life of hypocrisy since the other 11 would have uh, known little about him or even his background. But it didn't matter. The other disciples trusted Jesus explicitly, even making him their treasurer. 
None of them even suspected Judas when Jesus, Jesus announced in the upper room in John 13, 21, and Jesus had said, he was troubled in the spirit and said, Verily I say unto you that one of you shall betray me. Matter of fact, the Bible doesn't reveal when and where Judas first uh, met Jesus. He may have been among those first who were uh, there to hear John the Baptist uh, and bear witness of Jesus Christ, or it could have been later at the beginning of the Lord's ministry, like what John 3, 22 talks about. And after these things came Jesus and His disciples into the land of Judea, and there He tarried with them and baptized. We're not sure where He first entered into the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. But when the Lord first called Judas to follow Him, what we realize is that with the other eleven, He was named an apostle by Jesus after the Lord had spent a night in prayer. At that point, Judas left his former occupation, and became a full-time follower of Jesus. He even stayed with him when many of the other disciples forsook Jesus. In John 6, 66, we read that many other disciples left him, but Judas was one that stayed with him. But though Judas closely accompanied Jesus, he never gave him his soul. He walked with him down the dusty roads. He carried the bag. He was the treasurer, but he never truly gave his heart to Jesus Christ. And because he never gave his heart to Jesus, we read of this tragic treachery that revealed itself through the kiss of a friend. Yet through this came a surprise to the disciples. Christ knew what was hidden in his heart, and he would soon expose it. In the setting the Lord chose here to expose this for unmasking his betrayer was his last meal with his disciples on the night before his death. Jesus had taught them the importance of humble service through his example of washing the disciples' feet. And as we've journeyed together through the book of John, we saw that was just previously in John chapter 13 and verses 1 through 17. And as we saw that, we we were reminded there at the end, Jesus concluded that passage with, if you know these things, happy are ye if you do them. He said, listen, if you're willing to follow my example, you're going to have joy in your spirit. You're going to have joy in your soul because you trust in me. But listen, now we're going to turn to the dialogue of the betrayer, the one that would betray Jesus with a kiss. John chapter 13 and verse number 18. If you'll look there in your Bibles with me, we want to read down through verse number 30 together this morning. He says, I speak not of you all. I know whom I have chosen, but that the Scripture may be fulfilled. He that eateth bread with me hath lifted up his heel against me. Now I tell you before it come, that when it is come to pass, you may believe that I am he. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that receiveth uh, whomsoever I uh, send receiveth me, and he that receiveth me uh, receiveth him that sent me. And when Jesus had thus said, he was troubled in the spirit and testified and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you that one of you shall betray me. Now, I read that kind of fast, but the Bible says that Jesus was troubled in his spirit. You can almost hear the quivering in his lip as he would have said something like that. The torment in his soul as he he testified, one of you, one of you, my closest friend, will betray me. And he goes on in verse 22. Then the disciples looked on, uh, looked one on, uh, excuse me, looked one on another, doubting of whom he spake. Now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. Now we understand the apostle John is writing of himself there. Inside Simon Peter therefore beckoned to him that he should ask who it should be of whom he spake. He then lying on Jesus' breast saith unto him, Lord, who is it? And Jesus answered, It is to whom. He it is to whom I shall give a sop when I have dipped it. When he had dipped the sop, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. And after the sop, Satan entered into him. Then said Jesus unto him, That thou doest, 
do quickly. Now no man at the table knew for what intent he spake this unto him. For some thought, because Jesus had the bag, that Jesus had said unto him, Buy those things that we have need of against the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. And so he then, having received the sop, went out immediately, went, went immediately out, and it was night. Let's stop together and pray. Father, we bow before you this morning, Lord, and we see, Lord, I can't help but read this passage and be heartbroken over this circumstance and situation. Lord, to see one that was so close to you betray you, Father, we're just so amazed by this act of betrayal. So, Lord, open our eyes that we might see, unmask, Lord, that we might see even betrayer, that the betrayal can reside in our heart if we're not careful. And so may you lead and guide here this morning as we just desire to expound your word. May your Holy Spirit be able to do that which you intend. Lord, your word would not return void. And so, God, we just pray now that your power would be evident here in this place this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Harboring hate and bitterness and disappointments can cause us, especially in this situation, we can call, see, see it to cause someone to plan to get back at someone. You ever known someone, well, I can't, I'm going to get back at them for what they did to me. But even as Jesus anticipates this treachery, we see in his face and we see his grace. We see his mercy. We see his love. And we see an opportunity once again for trust to reveal itself. And as he reveals the truth of what's going on, we see even in this heart of one whose treachery has harbored that Christ doesn't uh, doesn't discourage, but instead he tries to work and bring him to a place of repentance. Although Christ chose this moment to expose the treachery, the reality is that this treachery existed long before this moment. Judas harbored things in his life that drew him away from the Lord. Let, let me just go back and mention here in verse number seven, uh, 18, he says, I speak not of you all. What's he talking about? Before, he says in verse number uh, chapter 13 and verse 1, he loved them unto the end. Another place, he talked about uh, them being secure, knowing that they had a, a relationship with the Lord. He said in verse number 10, he said, He that is washed need is not saved to wash his feet, but is clean every whit. And ye are, ye are clean, but not all. He was alluding to the fact that not one, one of them had not truly put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Jesus wanted to make sure that the rest of the disciples understood that when the betrayal and the rest took place, he was not going to be surprised. He was not a victim of Judas's treachery. Instead, he chose to walk the path that God had before them. Well, they might wonder why he chose Judas, but, uh, or wonder why Judas chose this path, or how he could have so completely misjudged the character. But Christ reminds them, if you look here, he says in verse number 19, Now I tell you before it comes, that when it has come to pass, you may believe that I am He. Now, the word He there is italicized in your King James, and you'll notice that that was put in place, put place, in, in place there for clarification purposes. It's not in the original. And so the original would actually say, you may believe that I am. That's the same verbiage that uh, Moses would have heard there on that mountain uh, as he spoke, stood before the Lord. And God said, I am that I am hath sent thee. It's that universal uh, name of God that was to be able to say, I declare to you that I am the Lord God, the creator of the ends of the earth. And Jesus was saying in this moment, listen, when all these things come to pass, don't you worry, I've anticipated this and I am still God. I'm still in charge of these things. Why would he do such a thing? Because when we go through different circumstances that we can't understand, you ever, you ever been through a trial, maybe a death or a loss or a circumstance where it seems like, man, none of this stuff makes sense in my life. We have to come back to a place that we're reminded that, that though I don't understand, I can still trust 
that I serve a God who is still God. I still serve the great I am. I still serve the God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And as Jesus was speaking these words to the disciples, he said, listen, you're about to see something. I know it's coming, but don't worry. I'm still God. This is part of my plan. Don't worry or doubt. Christian, let me remind you, Romans 8.28 doesn't suddenly disappear whenever we go through a hardship. Romans 8, 28 is still in our Bible. It says uh, that, that all things work together for good for those who love the Lord, those who are the called according to His purpose. God's will is still at work. He's still active. He's still involved in our life. And so when we are tempted to doubt the Lord, come back to the truth that He is still the great I Am. Leon Morris said, He was not deceived. He was not the helpless victim of unsuspected treachery but the one sent by God to effect God's purpose going forward calmly and unafraid to do what God had planned for him to do. You see, the Lord uh, used this treachery of Judas so that Scripture may be fulfilled. The Old Testament foretold of this in Psalm chapter 49 and verse number, uh, 41 and verse number 9. It says, Yea, mine own familiar friend in whom I trusted, which did eat of my bread, hath lifted up his heel against me. David, as he was writing here, probably lamented the betrayal of a close and trusted companion. Maybe it was Ahithophel who had mentioned earlier. Maybe it was someone else. But this mirrors exactly what happened to Jesus Christ. Another psalm is in Psalms chapter 55. And in this refers to David's betrayal during the dark days of Absalom's revolts. In verse 12, he says, For it was not an enemy that reproached me, then I could have borne it. Neither was it he that hated me that magnified himself against me. Then I would have hid myself from him. But it was thou, a man mine equal, my guide and mine acquaintance. We took sweet counsel together and walked unto the house of God in company. In both the Psalms of David, the experience points that point forward to the Messiah's betrayal. Zechariah in Zechariah chapter 11 also predicts Judas's betrayal in Zechariah 11 verses 12 and 13 says and I said unto them if you think good give me my price if not forbear so they weighed for my price 30 pieces of silver and the Lord said unto me cast it into the potter a goodly price that I was prized of at them and I took the 30 pieces of silver and cast them to the potter in the house of the Lord long before Judas was ever born his duplicity was foreseen his, and it was, we see that even God uh, planned and didn't demonstrated that this would, the, even the very price that was laid, paid for Christ's head was foretold. But Judas' role in this divine plan was not something apart from his own desire. He was no robot pre-programmed to betray Jesus against his will. You see, the problem was Judas freely chose to do what he did, and he was fully accountable for his actions. And so we have to ask ourselves, where are the roots of this treachery? I mean, think about this. Throughout the earthly ministry of Jesus, Jesus was, Judas was able to walk with Christ. I would like to think, man, if I was there to see Christ and was able to talk to Him, bump shoulders with Him, rub elbows with Him, if you will, if I could walk with Him along those dusty roads, then, then perhaps I wouldn't have ever been to Judas. So where did those roots of betrayal lie? How come He was willing to, to give up all of eternity for just a moment of pleasure? One hand, on one hand, Judas, like many of his fellow Jews, had fervently hoped Jesus would overthrow the Romans and restore all of Israel's political sovereignty. But listen, Judas was also motivated by greed. We see that in his life and the desire for worldly power and ambition. 
as one of those inner circle of Jesus' followers, he no doubt hoped for an important position in that restored kingdom. So Judas was not interested in the kingdom for salvation's sake, but what he had hoped for to get out of it was wealth, power, prestige. And as time went on, Judas, Judas realized that he had been greatly disillusioned. Jesus was not setting up some sort of an earthly kingdom where they were going to rule and reign on this earth. Instead, Jesus was showing signs that he would soon be killed. He would soon be put to death. And Judas said, well, listen, I don't want anything part of that. I know what the Romans do to rebels. In fact, Christ had rebuffed the people's attempt to make him king. The Lord stressed this spiritual dimension of the kingdom. But Judas wanted that physical presence, that earthly political kingdom. And in all of this disenchantment, it just began to grow and began to grow and began to grow. And there were behind all of that smiling face, that facade that he put on for the disciples and Jesus was a level of hypocrisy. Just a few days before the Last Supper, there was an incident that occurred. Look at John chapter 12 in your Bible. Back here in John 12, just as a reminder, there was a dinner at Bethany. It was given in Jesus' honor. This is Mary, the sister of Martha. Lazarus anointed Jesus with a large amount of expensive perfume. They were honoring Christ for his resurrection of Lazarus. But as they witnessed this expensive perfume being poured out, we see that Judas uh, had shock and outrage. And he said this, Why was not this ointment, in verse 5, sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? Listen, do you think Judas really cared for the poor? He didn't care anything for the poor, anything more than he cared for Jesus at this point. In verse number 6, it goes on and says, This he says, not that he cared for the poor, but that because he was a thief. He had the bag and bear what was put therein. Listen, John realized later, Judas didn't care about the poor. What Judas was concerned about was money. He thought, how can I take this money and embezzle it? How can I take this, this fortune and use it for my own gain? Listen, if I can't get the prestige and the power, then at least I want to be able to bring this into my own uh, advantage. You see, losing out on that opportunity to embezzle the money, I, I believe, infuriated Judas. Because in the next things we read in the Scripture, in Matthew chapter 26, in verses 14 through 16, that Judas and his discontent that was just boiling over inside of him, he immediately went to negotiate terms with the chief priests. In verse 14 says, Then one of the twelve, called Judas Iscariot, went unto the chief priests and said unto them, What will ye give me? And I will deliver him unto you. And they coveted with him for thirty pieces of silver. And from that time he sought opportunity to betray him. You see, really, it came down uh, to telling the leaders. All he had to do was tell the leaders where he would be on, on a night away from the crowds. They knew they couldn't take Jesus uh, in front of all the crowds. The crowds would protect him. They didn't want to look bad in front of the crowds. So they had to find a place where he could be apart and away. And so Judas said, listen, I know just the place. As a matter of fact, uh, it, we see, read in the Scriptures that they, they were familiar with this place where Jesus uh, often went to resort. Jesus even warned uh, that there was one who was a devil, not really filled with the Spirit of God. In John chapter 6 and verse 70, he says, Jesus answered them, And have not I chosen you twelve, and one of you is a devil? Even at the beginning when he chose them. Listen, Jesus was reminding them, Listen, there is, there is someone here that's about to betray me. 
There's someone here that we're anticipating this. His roots of treachery are in a heart of conceit and selfishness. His roots of treachery are not founded uh, on faith, but instead on selfishness. And I tell you, God warns us that there can, sometimes can be a Judas in our own midst. Listen, if Jesus had a Judas, we can be guaranteed that there's probably one in our midst. Why? Because we have a tendency, and in this day and age, I'm reminded that Paul warned Timothy, listen, in those last days, you're going to see a love of self permeating uh, the, the culture in which you live. This is going to be a normal thing. And so he warns that in those last days, perilous times shall come, and men shall be lovers of their own selves, not of the Lord, but of their own selves. And so this, this idea of, of selfishness and conceitedness and narcissism is really growing in our culture. Have you noticed that? Listen, that's the spirit of Judas. That's the spirit that, that took him from being a follower to a betrayer. That took him from a friend to the one that would become his enemy. Listen, God gives us a choice just like he gave to Judas. And we're going to see that in just a minute. And that's why he calls us today to humble repentance. Cast off the work of bitterness. Cast off the anger. Cast off that, that unforgiveness. And choose instead charity and love. I call you today. I encourage you to do what Judas missed. Examine your own life and say, God, search me, try me, see if there's any wicked way in me. Lord, I don't want to be a Judas. I don't want to be the betrayer. I don't want to be the one that causes issues. I want to be the one that is selfless like Jesus. I want to kneel there before the other disciples and I want to wash the feet with my hands. Lord, I, I want to be that, that servant's heart. That's my desire, not a Judas. That's why unmask the unmasking was preceded before Christ's illustration Right after, right after he washed the feet, he said, listen, don't look at the difference, the humility and the pride. But just Jesus desired that Judas' betrayal would not shake the other's faith. And so he offers some trust in the midst of this. Look in verse number 19 there. He says, now I tell you before it come, that when it come to pass, you may believe that I am he. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that receiveth whomsoever I send receiveth me, and he that receiveth me receiveth him that sent me. Now, I want you to encourage you here because Christ was uh, trying to do two things at this moment. One, he wanted to make sure uh, that those who were saved would continue, but also those that were lost would be saved. And so if you look at verse 20, it may seem to be a little bit out of place in this passage, but if you consider the betrayal, how this would affect the, those that are close to Jesus, it could, it, you can understand a little bit of why Jesus said what he said. For example, if, if Jesus was supposed to be Almighty God, and he was supposed to be the one that knew all things. How come he didn't know that Jesus, Judas would betray him? How come he wouldn't uh, you know, foresee that and be able to say, okay, well, listen, you're not going to be part of our group. And so Jesus was reminding them, listen, in verse number 20, I say unto you that he that receiveth whomsoever I send receiveth me. And so what he's saying, listen, you might have thought that having a traitor in your midst would destroy my credibility and end your missions. But instead what God was saying was, listen, I knew this was part of my plan and instead of destroying, it gives me credibility, and you can trust in my perfect plan. And so he drops this statement in the midst of all this reference to Judas and assures that the other 11, that Judas' treachery would not nullify the commission that was going on. He was still going to send them. And so as believers today, let me remind you that God's called us to be ambassadors. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 20, he says, Now then we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be you reconciled to God. 
And so God calls each of us here to be ambassadors, like those apostles of old that were sent out by Jesus Christ. Listen, now we're ambassadors. We're that representative to the world. And we represent our king to the world of lost sinners. And God calls you and I to make sure that our life and our testimony are an example of Jesus Christ. And so he says, listen, although there may be some that fall by the wayside, although there may be some that give up and they quit, he says, don't you be part of that group. Instead, continue, continue to be that ambassador for Jesus Christ. But listen, Christ also gives Judas one more opportunity to repent. Man, what an enduring love of the Savior. The Bible says here in verse number 21, He says, when Jesus had thus said, He was troubled in the Spirit. Now this is the same word and the same in the Greek that is used whenever the, uh, the disciples were full of terror when they saw the Lord walk on water. It's the same word that describes Zechariah's fear whenever the angel Gabriel appeared to him in the temple. It's the same word that was used to describe the disciples' fear when Jesus appeared to them after the resurrection. And even the deep anguish that Jesus uh, had uh, when uh, Lazarus was in the tomb. So there were several things about this that were troubling the Lord. What would trouble the Lord so badly? One, He loved Judas. You ever known someone that betrayed you, loved, known someone and loved someone that you walked with you and you just, you just uh, thought the most in the world of them, but they betrayed you? Well, I tell you, in that moment, Jesus knew what was about to happen and He loved Judas even until the end, as, as Romans th- or John 13, 1 says, and He loved them until the end. Even Judas, He loved that much. But Judas, in gratitude for all the kindness that shown Him, grieved His heart, His uh, his, the presence of Satan in Judas's life grieved his heart. The fearful fate that awaited Judas in hell grieved Christ's heart. The knowledge that the betrayal would lead to him to, kneel, to die on the cross would grieve his heart. I tell you, someone wrote, one wrote, once wrote, in the present passage, Jesus' emotions are shown to be in a state of turmoil. His whole inner self convulsing at the thought of one of his closest followers betraying him to his enemies. You see, he grieved for Judas. And even in this moment, you can see God's love for Judas. He loved him unto the end. If you're like a Judas, maybe you're playing the game without actually putting your faith in Christ. Judas is your warning today. Judas' fate will also be yours if you don't uh, put your faith in Jesus Christ and repent of your sins. You see, Judas never did that. Even after... He grieved and he sorrowed over, over what he had done. We saw that he went into the temple, he threw down the money, and then the Bible says he went out and he hung himself. He never truly repented. And today God offers you the opportunity to trust in him. He says, don't be a Judas. Don't leave this place. Don't, don't, don't leave this congregation today after hearing the truth and not truly repenting. Because this is the truth. In verse 22, the truth is revealed through this situation. Verses 22 through 30. You know, have you ever, you ever tried to hide something? You know, we come to church and you maybe, maybe you've got a pain and someone asks you, say, how you doing? Well, I'm doing pretty good. And you walk over to your seat and you just kind of sit down real gingerly and you, you look at that person and say, well, that, that, that wasn't entirely true. Someone says, well, how are you doing? Well, I'm doing fine, thank you. But in the inner recesses of your heart, there's a secret that hurts. Psalms chapter 44 and verse 21. He says, Shall not God search this out? For he knoweth the secrets of the heart. You may be able to hide things from your pastor. You may be able to hide things from those around you, but you can't ever hide things from God. 
And Judas thought maybe he could hide things from Jesus and he could hide things from their disciples. But Jesus was about to reveal his heart to him and the rest of the group. It's a tribute to two things. One, the effectiveness of Judas's hypocrisy, but it's also the deity of Christ. God knew what was in Judas's heart. Think about this with me, if you will. The disciples, when they heard what Jesus had said, he said in verse uh, number uh, 19, before it come, uh, now I tell you before it come, that when it's come to pass, you may believe that I am he. And then he says later in verse 26, he it is to whom I shall give a sop when I have dipped it. He says, listen, there's going to be someone that will betray me. One of you here in this place is going to betray me. The disciples and looked amongst each other and they said, well, who could it be, Lord? I know Judas. I know John. I know Peter. I know uh, all, all of the disciples here. I know Thomas. These, these guys, I, they've got their flaws, but they're not going to betray you. Even Peter boasted, listen, though everyone else will betray you, I will go with you even unto death. And before the cock crow, he denied Jesus. You know, they looked around. Mark chapter 14 records it like this. And they began to be sorrowful and say unto him one by one, is it I? And another said, is it I? They looked around. They didn't know. Judas had so masked his betrayal with, with hypocrisy. I tell you, they, they didn't even discern that it was Judas. Even Judas played the game in Matthew 26, 25. And then Judas, which betrayed him, answered and said, Master, is it I? What a liar. What a, hip, a hypocrite. He'd already met with the chief priest. He knew it was him, but he was still playing the game. Listen, so many times people come to church and you're playing the game. Listen, you can fool me. I'm going to tell you straight up, you can fool me, you can, you can fool uh, the people around you, but you can never fool God. And let me tell you, God, Judas is your warning today. You may be able to play, play in the game, you may be able to say, listen, you may be able to look the, the part, you may be able to wear the tie or whatever, you may, may look right on the outside, but if your heart's not truly given over to Jesus Christ, you're in trouble. Luke adds to this to this account in verse 20, chapter 22, verse 23, and they began to inquire among themselves which of them it was that should do this thing. You have to wonder what Judas would have said during this time. He'd become very effective at keeping his lie alive. And he looked over at John and he says, John, what do you think? Or whispered past Jesus there and he says, do you think, do you think maybe it's Peter? You know that loudmouth guy? Surely he's the one that's going to betray. You know, we, we always want to point that finger. Whenever we're convicted, we say, listen, look at that person over there. Do you think it, maybe it's him? I know, y'all never do that. But, but that's what happens in the human nature. We say, well, listen, uh, this is seen in politics, amen? It's Russian collusion. No, he did it. No, she did it. No, they all did it. Let me tell you what, they're all kind of crazy, amen? I don't care what, if they're red, blue, purple, it doesn't matter. They're all crazy. But this is what I know. The Gospel of John records another interesting note. And this is really neat. In verse 26, John had laid there on the breast of Jesus... In verse number 24, he, he, uh, verse 23, it records that John's laying there on the bosom. Judas is it's apart from Jesus. And just a great contrast here. But in verse 26, he says, He it is to whom I shall give a sop. Now, if you think about this, we don't know necessarily what the sop is. But this is just a small morsel of bread. It was the unleavened bread. It was dipped oftentimes in a bitter, uh, a bitter concoction of vinegar and some herbs and spices. And they would dip that and then they would pass it at the head of the table. And he would pass it to the person of honor on the right. And the first person that received that morsel or that sop, the first person that received it, it was an honor to receive that. Now picture this. 
Here is Judas about to betray his Savior. And Christ gives him a place of honor. What a, what a place of grace. What an opportunity for someone to receive uh, Jesus, to see that Christ still loved him even into the end. Here, let me even honor you, Judas. Even in this moment, I want you to know that I love you. And folks, let me tell you, that's the Lord today in this very dark hour of our world. He's reaching out and saying, listen, I still love you. I still care about you. Let me tell you that I sent my son to die for you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. You see, God still loves and cares for sinners today. And as we look at this, we see that the traitor may be addressed, but as Jesus did so. He was saying, Judas, don't leave this place. You still have a decision to make. You can still choose me over this lifestyle. You can still choose me over rebellion. You can still choose me over the sin in your life. And Christian, let me tell you today, uh, may we choose Jesus Christ over everything else. F.F. Bruce states, Jesus' actions in singling out Judas uh, out for uh, out for a mark for a, excuse me, Jesus' action in singling Judas out for a mark of special favor, may have been intended as a final appeal to him to abandon his treacherous plan and play the part of a true disciple. Up to that moment, the, uh, the die had not been irre uh, irrevocably cast. If Judas had wavered for a second, it was only to steal himself to carry out his fatal resolution to become the willing instrument of Satan, whereas he might have been the free follower and messenger of his master. Satan could not have entered into him had he not granted him admission. He had, had he been willing to say no to the adversary, all of the, his master's intercessory power was available to him there and then to strengthen him. But when a disciple, the disciple's will turns traitor, then the spiritual aid of Christ is refused. That person's condition is desperate indeed. You see, I wish Judas was the last of the Judases. But when we harden our hearts toward those, especially the one that loves us, it creates a problem. Judas hardened his heart and led him to betray Jesus. When we harden our heart, it will lead us down a path that destroys our life. Ezekiel calls out from the Old Testament in Ezekiel 36, 26. It says, A new heart will I give you when you put your faith in Jesus Christ. It says, A new spirit will I put on you, and I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you a, a heart of flesh. If you're here today with a hard heart, I urge you, cast off that hardness. Soften your heart to the one that loves you and choose to see the goodness of the Lord. What hardens our heart but our pride? What hardens our heart but our selfishness? What hardens our heart but the, the, uh, the rebellion that we harbor inside? And I urge you today, if there's something in you that you know shouldn't be there, God calls you to repentance at this time. But we see there are a couple of lessons that we can learn very quickly as we close. Judas and his example was one of the greatest examples of lost opportunities in history. He had a great privilege, a great opportunity, but he rejected the Lord Jesus Christ. Today, you're here in this hearing, and I just want to remind you that God has given you an opportunity today. We're not promised another tomorrow. We're not promised another next week, but you are promised right now. And in this moment, God invites you to put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and be gloriously saved. Don't, or let me encourage you, learn from Judas' example. Judas is also the foremost illustration of the danger of loving money. Money meant more to him than eternal salvation. May we say, Lord, nothing is as important as, than you. Judas is also the one that typifies the vileness of spiritual betrayal. In every age there have been Judases. May it not be me. Judas was a living proof of Jesus' patience, his mercy, and his kindness. 
Even when he arrived to betray Jesus in the garden, Judas was addressed by Jesus as friend. You see, here's the reality. is God came to save sinners. And as Paul wrote, of whom I'm chief. God came to save you and He came to save me and He did that by dying on a cross for you and me. There's nothing else in this world that will save you. The Bible says uh, that, that through Christ alone is there salvation for man. He is the only one that will save you today.